0: Health Matters with Karen Key. And this program is brought to you by Adcock Ingram. Adcock Ingram is passionate about the health of all South Africans across our rainbow nation. Trust Adcock Ingram medicines to take care of you and your family's health. Adcock Ingram, adding value to life. And a very good evening to you and welcome to this week's edition of Health Matters. Professor Anton Dubel, head of the cardiology division and director of SunHeart, will be joining us this evening and we'll be talking about a pioneering cardiac service in radial angiography, which is now being offered at a new cardiac care center at the Division of Cardiology at Tigerberg Hospital in the Western Cape. Neil Ray will be on the line and he's a person who's lived with diabetes for 50 years and now at the age of 63 he's setting out to be the first person living with the condition to climb Africa's highest peak Kilimanjaro. Kerry White is the funding and development manager from the Shine Foundation and she'll be telling us about the 4th annual Oxford Cambridge Paddle to Read Dragon Boat Race which is taking place at the V&A waterfront this weekend. And finally, I'll be chatting with Fundin Fandenhierfer, and he'll be telling us about a brave little dog called Tripod. And just a reminder that there's a list of available documents for Health Matters. Just go to the Facebook page, Health Matters on SAFM. And if you'd like any of them, post a message on Facebook. But please do remember to include your email address so I can send them to you. And if you don't have access to Facebook, drop me an email to healthmatters at safm.co.za. And I'll send you the list and then you can choose which of the documents you'd like to have. So that's the lineup for this evening. I do hope you'll stay with me and enjoy the show here on SAFM.
1: At Adcock Ingram, we're passionate about the health of all South Africans. For more than 120 years, generations of families across the Rainbow Nation have trusted us with the day-to-day health of their loved ones, with household names like Pernardo, Bioplus, Comprel and Citrus Soda, you'll find the same quality and care in all of our medicines. Adcock Ingram, adding value to life. Ask for Adcock Ingram medicines the next time you visit your pharmacy. Yirung is a heart-heating program dealing with consumer rights.
0: We get the most informed experts to answer the most difficult questions.
1: From fraud and corruption to protecting the rights of children.
0: From purchasing faulty equipment to finalizing estates. We give you all the information you need to empower yourself. I am Alicia
2: Jali.
1: And I am C.P. Wonzaoumbi. Turn into to Fridays between 1.30 and 2.30 in the afternoon, the on SABC1. The Department of Trade and Industry has established special economic zones with the intention to bring mainstream economic activity to poor and isolated parts of South Africa. A range of incentives is available to ensure special economic zones offer a more investor-friendly business environment to generate revenue, create jobs, improve competitiveness, and attract foreign direct investment for more information visit the dti.gov.za or call the dti customer contact center on 0861 843 384 the dti towards full scale industrialization and inclusive growth
3: health matters with caron key
0: the well, pioneering cardiac service in radial angiography, currently not available elsewhere on the continent, will now be offered at a new cardiac care centre at the Division of Cardiology at the Tigerberg Hospital in the Western Cape. Professor Anton Dubell is head of the cardiology division and director of SunHeart, a newly established not-for-profit foundation that strives for equal access to advanced cardiac care for all patients. And he's on the line. Professor Dubell, good evening. Welcome to the show. Hello, Gordon. Good evening. This is rather exciting news. I was reading through all the offerings of this new centre, and it's actually quite remarkable. It's a public-private partnership.
3: Yes, it is, and one that I'm equally excited about.
0: I was actually noticing some some stats, and it's it said there that more than fifty thousand patients annually in South Africa required advanced cardiac care. And before we get to the stats, can maybe explain exactly what radial angiography is all about.
3: Sure. We'll come back to the stats because I think your figures an underestimate. But oh, we'll I, was co- I was
0: actually quoting you, but anyway.
3: <laughs> yes, I think what really that figure is all about is, is that that's about roughly the number that um, are currently done oh. uh, in terms of angiography. So more people than that need angiography and certainly more people than that need advanced cardiac care in the broad sense.
0: Okay, so what but exactly back, is that now?
3: Back to radial angiography. Mm. Um, that's really the, the, the exciting part. We've been using the radial access, in other words, the access through your, your arm, uh, roughly where you feel the pulse. We would access the vascular system there um, rather than the traditional way of accessing it in the groin, which is a much larger artery. Um, the main medical difference, I suppose, is that in the arm it's, it's easier to, to control the main complication of the groin procedure, namely bleeding. So one can offer a safer procedure from the arm. But more importantly, in terms of giving access to advanced cardiac care, you can um, do the procedure through the arm as a day procedure. It would be possible to come into our new center in the morning, walk into the theater and have the procedure through the arm, walk out again, and a couple of hours later when the bleeding in the arm has been controlled, one can go home on the same day. You don't need admission to the hospital.
0: So that's going so to cut down the cost. The is much,
3: mm. much higher, so we can, we can actually – don't like to use the word process, but you will even know what I mean if yes. I say that. We can process more patients per day.
0: And also, I'm sure the cost of all of this must come down significantly.
3: Yes, I think a major cost of healthcare care lies in hospitalization, particularly if it's a high-care or an intensive-care bed, and that can be um, bypassed by, by using a center like the one we've established where um, it's a day procedure and one you know you don't actually uh, get admitted to a bed you sit in a chair much like the you know the dialysis units or the kidney machine units where, where you sit in a chair until the procedure is done and then you go home
0: now the other thing about the centre is that you're going to be offering these new procedures to a lot more patients as we've discussed, especially those from previously disadvantaged communities who up until now I think have poss- possibly been denied this kind of treatment yes
3: absolutely uh, the you know the training hospitals like like tigerberg hospital which is the training hospital for stellenbosch university is really a bit of a bottleneck in terms of the access to to advanced co- cardiac care um and and the whole initiative that we've taken with sunheart is to open up um the, these bottlenecks and and we've essentially um, embarked on a program where we have sort of a hub and spoke model with tigerberg obviously being the hub and then creating secondary centers for for um, uh, cardiac care in our referral hospitals in areas such as PAL or Worcester or other so-called secondary level hospitals. We have now started um, providing expertise at those centers. So we go there once a month. Um, In the process, we train up um, some of the local staff members. We ensure that we, with them, plan to get uh, well-equipped at these secondary uh, level centers. Once a month, we would then go there and assess a large number of patients, which we can then select those that really need to come to Tigerberg. And that obviously twofold advantage. The one is that you ensure that the patient that ultimately comes to Tigerberg for advanced care really requires it, because you can imagine if somebody comes who really could be managed at a lower level, one would just block access for a patient who needs the high care level.
0: So the center itself as we, we've discussed initially it's not just all about this new ar- car- ar- radial angiography but it's also a training center it's an outreach program it's yep. it's a m- lot more than just the procedure itself
3: absolutely I mean in terms of of angiography it's obviously the core of, mm. of this outreach program that we've we've started rolling out um, but we, we're not restricted. you know there's much more to cardiac care than just doing angiography I think most of us are aware of heart attacks and blockages in arteries. So angiography is commonly done and we, we identify with that as sort of advanced cardiac care. But um, there are, you know, valvular disease is a very common problem in South Africa. So we're obviously rolling out the service in the broad sense in terms of access to cardiac advanced cardiac care.
0: And you have training facilities as well for to, to surgeons from around the country, I'm assuming, could come there as yes, well. I
3: mean, for example, the radial procedure, as I say, the radial procedure is not new. We've been mm. doing this procedure for some time now and I would say for the last three years probably we've converted from a predominantly femoral or or axis in the groin to a radial or axis in the arm Um, because you know that is worldwide we've learned that that is the safer way um, and one can as I've said provide the service to more people so we've gradually moved from the femoral approach to the radial approach but what we've now added to our centre is a unit where we can offer this radial procedure as a day procedure. So the the actual doing of the radial procedure is not what is unique and new to us. It is offering it uh, in a centre where it can be a, a day service. In the process of of um, converting it, uh, uh, to the radial procedure, we've also become the the, the leading training centre for this procedure in the country. So. We regularly hold training uh, workshops at Tigerberg and um, cardi- cardiologists um, from across the country um, are joining us for these, these training sessions. It's, it's perhaps important that I point out that at this point in time, many cardiologists are still doing the procedure from the groin, and there's nothing wrong with that. That is a, an accepted procedure, but the, we, we gradually are going to switch over to the arm. But somebody's, you know, got to take the lead and train. Uh, the The colleagues up in that procedure um, if I take myself as an example, one obviously you know practices what you 've been taught, and when a new procedure comes along there's a bit of a transition period that that um, has to take place for for colleagues to learn the new procedure and convert i if one follows the trend that's been happening in Europe and other parts of the world, then certainly uh, most of our cardiologists will will eventually do the radial procedure because we can do it for more patients and we can do it
0: safer. Gosh, it sounds like really great strides are being made in this particular area. But the other interesting thing I wanted to just talk to you quickly about Sunheart is that you're investing in research and training, and and especially I was interested in the Echo in Africa project.
3: Oh, fantastic. We've uh, really um, have an exciting project going there. So one of the um, components of infrastructure that Sunheart has added to the Division of Cardiology at Stellenbosch is a um, research center which really um, focuses primarily on, on an area of research that, you know, that we have been pursuing for some time, and that's valvular disease and particularly the imaging of valvular disease. Um, if we take the population as a whole in South Africa, then the main problem uh, really is still the large number of patients who suffer from valvular disease, mainly due to a condition called rheumatic heart disease. If you have rheumatic fever as a child, you start damaging the heart valves. And as an adult, you then have severely damaged um, valves. Now, that we've, the first project we've run in the Sun Heart on the Echo in Africa Center, um, we've screened approximately 1,600 children from uh, schools in the Kailicha and Ravensmead area to see you know what how many of these children have early signs of rheumatic heart disease. Um, The reason why that is vitally important is once you've had rheumatic fever once, you're prone to have it um, more often than the rest of the population. And repeated attacks of rheumatic fever is what damages the valve. So obviously we don't want to um, just treat the patients who have advanced valve lesions by putting new valves in. We'd preferably like to prevent them needing new valves in later life. So the, the focus is very much on identifying rheumatic heart disease at a very early age and then instituting antibiotic therapy to, to prevent the repeated attacks of rheumatic fever and um, re- preventing the development of advanced valve lesions. So um, it's the first for us, this project, and we've done it in collaboration with the British Society of Echocardiography, who... Um, have been a fantastic partner. Not only have they helped us fund the centre, but they also annually sending out a number of sonographers um, who do ultrasound investigations of the heart with us. So the reason we've been able to screen the numbers of, of, of students that I've mentioned is because not only is it you know the five cardiologists in Dagenham who do it, but every week uh, twelve sonographers from the UK have come across as volunteers. Um, so really a fantastic initiative by the individuals, um, who well, are members of the British Society of Echocardiography to take hands with us in this venture and, and offer their services to to the underprivileged community.
0: It's rather all very exciting news. You know, it's, it's one of those things, these breakthroughs and these new developments come out. It's very exciting because things seem to be coming sort of strong and fast lately over the last few years. There's been more and more in the way of development and it's making our lives easier and better and as as with this, our stay in hospital shorter which brings down the cost of healthcare. So it's all very positive.
3: Yes, very much so. You know, we we tend to have a habit in South Africa of focusing on some of the negatives, uh, and certainly we have you know major challenges. Uh, but I think the initiative Sunheart's taken um, is an example of what we can achieve if we sort of focus our attention on this. You know, the the my colleagues and I within the healthcare sector are obviously dedicated towards. These goals we've set, um, but what is very important is that the vision we have is shared by partners in, in industry. Um, we could never fund this on our own. We, you know, we get good funding from the Department of Health. We get good funding from Stellenbosch University, but it falls short of the funding that you need if you really want to be the top centre on the continent. Um, and and it's wonderful to see um, how partners have come on board. Um, Giving freely funding to, to make these uh, initiatives realised. So, yes, I'm very thrilled by the way the community's come to, to partner with us.
0: It's obviously the way, way of the future when it comes to new developments, especially in medicine. Professor Dubel, thank you very much indeed for joining us on the show this evening. Very exciting news, and thank you for your time.
3: Thank you, Gordon. It's been a pleasure.
0: Thank you. Professor Anton Dubil is head of the cardiology division and director of SunHeart, which is a newly established not-for-profit foundation that strives to equal access to advanced cardiac care for all patients. And for more information, you can take a look at the website. It's sun.ac.za forward slash sunheart. At Adcock Ingram, we're inspired to create quality medicines at
1: affordable prices. The passion and care that goes into our trusted brands like Panado, BioPlus, Compral, and Citrus Soda can also be found in our range of generic medicines. So whether you're a boiki with a bellyache or a gogo with a cold, trust us to take care of you and your family's health. Adcock Ingram, adding value to life. Ask for Adcock Ingram medicines the next time you visit your pharmacy.
0: Health Matters
3: with Karen Key.
0: Coming up this weekend is the 4th Annual Oxford-Cambridge Paddle to Read Dragon Boat Race, which is taking place at the V&A Waterfront. Kerry White is the Funding and Development Manager from the Shine Foundation, and she'll be telling us more about this rather unique fundraising event. Kerry, good evening. Welcome to the show. Hi, Karen and thanks
2: for the opportunity.
0: Right, I mean, people hear about Oxford and Cambridge and the boat race, and we all think London, and, but this is down here in Cape Town at the waterfront, and it's oxford Press and Cambridge University Press, Oxford University Press, and Cambridge University Press in in dragon boats. Correct.
2: Um, this is the fourth year that they're doing um, the, um, the the race um, with Shine as the, as the beneficiary of of, of the event. Um, and it all started, I think, in twenty ten when the um, the two companies who are traditional rivals decided that they wanted to do some kind of team building and fun. of competitive event between the two companies and they're based on the UK version between the two universities which is on the River Thames.
0: I was rather interested to see that even our Western Cape MEC of Education Debbie Schaefer is going to be paddling in the race.
2: Yes, this uh, this is her first time that she'll be doing that. Um, I hope she's up for the challenge because it's quite energetic um, but it'll be great to have her on board.
0: So it's quite a day. Can people come down and watch and what time does it start?
2: Absolutely. Um, we invite um, the, all the, the, the public to come and watch. It starts at, at 9 o'clock um, on the North Quay at the Victoria um, and Alfred Waterfront. Um, and anybody's welcome to come down and watch. It's quite a spectacle uh, with the, the, the various um, Teams that are participating in the program. We've got, um, the, the VIP event. We've got two, um, underprivileged schools who are actually participating. Three races, um, between Oxford University Press and Cambridge University Press. Um, and this year, for the first time, there will be a club exhibition race between two dragon boat clubs, Mujaji, who has actually been one of the founders of this, um, event between Oxford and Cambridge and then um, a new club called Paddle Snappers so they're going to show how the professionals do it.
0: Right, so that's the paddling out of the way, why are they paddling?
2: They're paddling to raise funds for the Shine Centre. It's the Shine Centre, not the Shine Foundation. Um, the Shine Centre is a, a non-profit literacy organisation that was founded in the year 2000. Um, we provide language and literacy support to young children who are predominantly not learning in their home language. So they're children that are coming from um, an Isikosa or Afrikaans um, home and they are learning in English um, at school. So we provide them with support.
0: And this is happening in the Western Cape. You've got seven centres in the Western Cape.
2: We have seven centres that support um, nine schools in the Cape Town and greater Cape Town area. And then due to demand from other interested individuals and organisations, we started a training programme to help other people set up A version of a Shine Centre, which we call a Shine Chapter, our social franchise model, and we have eleven of those in the Western Cape, we have and KwaZulu Natal, and in the Eastern Cape in Port Elizabeth.
0: So you are getting out there around the country.
2: Indeed, Um, we we also do family literacy workshops in all our schools. The schools that host Shine Centres and Shine Chapters, we're hoping to open this up to the public. And we've got a brand new project that we're wanting to roll out from 2016 called Shine Book Buddies, which pairs older and younger children to read together during the school day.
0: Now, other than the paddling around that's happening this weekend, what can we as the general public do to assist you?
2: We are always looking for volunteers. Um, our Shine chapters and Shine centres make use of of wonderful members of the community who get trained by us. Our m- um, model and methodology is very structured. Nobody needs to have any um, um, sort of teaching background. Um, you just need to be able to speak English and have a love of children and reading. So we train volunteers. Anybody who wants to volunteer can call us. Um, we also, you can buy raffle tickets for the paddle to read, um, donate any amount that you would like to, um, through to shine. We also have um a My school, my Village Card, and we're also looking for always looking for books to be donated
0: to Shine. What sort of books are you looking for, Kerry?
2: Mostly storybooks. we We buy graded readers from Oxford and Cambridge University Press and Biblionet. so we we have a very structured reading program. but storybooks we need for shared reading. So any great books with lots of pictures, simple text, um, bright colors, anything that, non-fiction and fiction, anything that can show our children about the world out there.
0: And for information on the paddle boat racing and also on if people want to drop off books for you or get involved as a volunteer, would they find all that information on your website or is there a number they can call?
2: You can look at our website, www.theshinecentre.org.za or call zero two one seven six two. Four three two zero. That's the Shine
0: office, and they'll be able to help you as far as raffle tickets are confer- concerned. And if people are wanting more information about when to come down to see the paddle boats, will they be get all that from the office number as well?
2: They
0: can. Okay. It's. It's. How long have you? You said it's been going now since two thousand.
2: Um, the Shine says yes, yes since
0: two thousand. And have you seen obviously a great increase in in the work that you're doing and the help that you're giving these children. It must be a very rewarding thing to do. uh,
2: Absolutely. We we actually do assessments in all our SHINE centres and SHINE chapters. As I said, the program is very structured. The children get assessed at the end of their grade one year so all children in the schools that have a um, all grade one children in the schools that have a Shine Centre, we go- take them through a, an assessment program and we measure their literacy levels against what their age-appropriate norm should be, and we categorise them into weak, poor, satisfactory, and good. And we take those children who where we can, and we have a um, a, um, a, a supporting number of volunteers, we take those children onto the program in their grade two year. And they work through a program twice a week for an hour, either one or two with one volunteer. Um, they do shared reading, paired reading, have a go writing, which is a sort of creative writing, and then they do word games. And we can um, assess them again in May, and then in the November again of their of their grade two year, and we can see a marked improvement in the children's results. Um, after just 32 hours of support.
0: Well, that's actually quite incredible. Mm. That's amazing. It's almost, you almost wish there was a program like this in every primary school.
2: Well, we would love to do that. And our book buddies, you know, what we want to do is, is our vision is a nation of readers. And, you know, once you once – you, the, the light bulb goes on for children when they discover that learn, reading is not just about the arduous task of having to learn. Reading can be fun. Reading can take you to a magic world. And you know it's a proven fact that children, once they haven't, if they haven't mastered the art of reading and mastered the basic reading skills, by the end of grade three or by grade four, they are they're going to be lost. They're going to fall through through the the cracks in the school system because there's no more teaching of reading after they're in grade four. So they need to master those skills so that they can change from learning to read. reading to learn because literacy spills over into every single other subject that they're involved in at school.
0: I was about to say I mean if you can't read how they're going to read the textbooks they get to high school they're not going to understand the textbooks or read be able to read the textbook I mean it's literally every part of their schooling is going is dependent on them being able to learn to read.
2: I mean numeracy and maths that's questions, question. Mm. You know, they, they're exceedingly complicated these days, just the language that's used for, for things like that. And, you know, there's a, there's a great dropout rate um, with children in, in high school, grade 8 and grade 9, if they haven't managed to, to master the skills. And the, 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 the social problems that actually go, the self-confidence, the self-esteem, um, all of those sort of things um, start falling, you know, happening to the children as well.
0: Gosh, it's imperative that you know we get more, more of your centres out there and more children into them so we can actually do something about the literacy issues that we have in this country. But Kerry, you guys are doing a wonderful job and thank you so thank much you. For, t- for telling us about what you do and hopefully some people will get in touch with you and hopefully you'll get some books and some volunteers and all sorts of things. So thank you for your time and good luck for the paddle race.
2: Thank you and we also extend our grateful thanks to Oxford University Press and Cambridge University Press. They're amazing partners with us in this journey.
0: Are you paddling just by the way? Um, no. <laughs> Are you going to be one of the supporters i am i 'm there every
2: year running around doing this that and the next thing. Um, I sort of do the interviews. Um, I haven't done the paddling yet.
0: Well, you do more than enough anyway, so you can, you will excuse you from the paddling.
2: <laughs> I, I found the director, director might be paddling.
0: So okay, Kerry, thank you for your time, and have fun at the paddle race. Thank you, Karen. Thanks, thanks, thanks a lot. For the opportunity. Pleasure. Good night.
2: Good night. Bye.
0: Kerry White is the funding and development manager from the Shine Foundation, and she was telling us there about the upcoming fourth annual Oxford Cambridge. Paddle to Read Dragon Boat Race, as well as telling us a little bit about the work that they do at the Shine Foundation or the Shine Centers. For more information on the Shine Center, you can take a look at and or you can call the office on 021-762-4320. And don't worry if you've missed any of these contact details, they'll all be on the Facebook page, Health Matters on SAFM, or drop me a mail to healthmatters at safm.co.za.
1: At Adcock Ingram, we're passionate about the health of all South Africans. For more than 120 years, generations of families across the Rainbow Nation have trusted us with the day-to-day health of their loved ones. With household names like Panado, BioPlus, Comprel and Citrus Soda, you'll find the same quality and care in all of our medicines. Adcock Ingram, adding value to life. Ask for Adcock Ingram medicines the next time you visit your pharmacy.
0: Health Matters with Karen Key. Well, Neil Ray has already climbed a great mountain, the challenge of living with diabetes for 50 years. And now, at the age of 63, he's setting out to be the first person living with a condition to climb Africa's highest peak, Mount Kilimanjaro. And he's on the line. Neil, good evening. Welcome to the show.
4: Good evening. Thank you very much.
0: I, I have to first ask why, Neil? It's a very high mountain.
4: It is, it's the highest peak in, in Africa, and uh, I've always said to myself, once I've beaten diabetes, then I must beat the highest mountain in, in, in the continent, and that's what I'm planning to do in February.
0: So, I mentioned that you've had diabetes for 50 years, that's an inordinately long time, so you were what, 13, Whatever you when you were diagnosed? Yes,
4: I was 13, um, and we were living in Swaziland, and I suddenly developed this severe thirst, and... After a couple of days, ended up in a diabetic coma and was admitted to the local rural hospital, where they eventually found out that I had diabetes.
0: Was this something in the family, or were you the first?
4: No, I was the first. It's not a case of hereditary, um, but uh, I don't know why I, you know, why I got the condition or the or the disease as it's called.
0: And this is type one.
4: I am a type 1 diabetic here. That means that I have, um, at the moment, I'm having two injections a day.
0: How have you managed it over 50 years? Because you're obviously keeping yourself incredibly well to be able to attempt something like this.
4: Yes, uh, one has to be disciplined. One has to have you know, good control over everything that you do. Um, once you have accepted the uh, the disease, then... You know, realize that you what you can do, what you can't do, and you just got to stick to the rules.
0: How was it actually growing up as a young boy with something like diabetes type 1? And I'm assuming that support from the family must have played a very important role in that. No, of
4: course, you've got to have a very strong support base around you at all times because everything that you do, you know, impacts on on the disease. And, you know, my dad was the first one to tell me the only way you're going to beat it, my son, is to get out on the road and run. And uh, at the age of 13, he used to chase me around the roads <laughs> of the in Swaziland, And I've managed to keep up, you know, a healthy diet and uh, obviously a healthy lifestyle. And so far, so good.
0: Because a lot of people with diabetes type one, you know, not all of them. I mean, there's a lot of amazing people doing some things like you do, but it's often, you know, they're diagnosed with something like that, and then it's, well, I can't really do anything. You know, I dare not run or I dare not do any exercise, or you know, my blood sugar is going to drop and all. that. But you're a living example that that isn't really the case.
4: Yeah, yeah. I, I, suppose, I suppose I am. You know, as um, you know, with modern technology and all the instruments that are available to one nowadays, you can you can live an absolutely normal lifestyle. You know, as having your injection and checking your blood sugar every day, and start brushing your teeth. It's just part of life. And if you want to enjoy your life, you just got to follow the rules.
0: So, what if you had to totally cut out, or do? You, can you sort of have something that you really like every now and again that you shouldn't?
4: Not really. There are many things that one likes that one can't have. And I realised early on that I couldn't, you know, do what I, you know, what I would have liked to do, and. Uh, yeah no, i've I've managed it very well, and now I'm facing the the next challenge in my life, and that's to get to the top of the mountain.
0: But now, for those listening, you're not going to be doing this alone. you are going your, your doctor is actually going with you.
4: That's correct. Um, the manufacturers of the insulin that I've used for the last fifty years are actually um, sponsoring this whole expedition up the mountain. Um, Novo Nordisk have got a, a their theme is changing diabetes. And proving to people that you can live a normal lifestyle, and if you've got goals, you can definitely achieve them. And so, um, my doctor, who's been with me for the last 25 uh, odd years, has climbed Kilimanjaro before, so he's an expert on it, and he's going to be climbing with me. And uh, he's going to be looking after me, I hope, every day that we go up. The only challenge that I'm really going to face is the altitude sickness. I believe that I'm fit enough to climb the mountain. But uh, it's just the, the altitude that could cause problems. But my doctor's convinced that I'm going to beat that as well.
0: <laughs> what sort of precautions do you have to take as far as the diabetes is concerned? Never mind the altitude sectors, that's a whole separate thing. But as far as the <laughs> yeah. diabetes is concerned, what sort of precautions are you having to take on this climb? Is there anything that could impact on that?
4: Not not really. I'm going to obviously be checking my blood sugar levels on a regular basis as we, as we climb. And... Uh, the, the meals that one eats on the mountain um, obviously are there to, to give you the strength to, to climb the mountain, and therefore there's not too much protein that's uh, served to the climbers. It's mainly a carbohydrate type of meal, and uh, this could impact on my sugar levels because carbohydrates are one of the things that you shouldn't eat in, in excess. But, um, you know, it's just going to be a matter of... of, of managing myself and how I feel after 50 years of the disease I've learned to my body I understand my body and it and it tells me what's going on and uh, so that's going to play a big part in in getting to the top of the mountain
0: is there any possibility that your blood sugar could drop from anything while you're climbing too low Um,
4: yeah no it, it, it could do that but the only reason that will happen is if I my insulin levels are not monitored correctly and if I have a have a have a have an injection um, of insulin that 's possibly too big and then really exert myself climbing the mountain um, that could cause it to drop but um, I know how my I know the symptoms that um, you know that my body gives me when when my sugar does start to get low, and i 'll be able to take precautions i 'll obviously carry uh, glucose sweets and things in my pocket, so if I do feel that my sugar is dropping i 'll be able to at, you know, to have some sweets and then get the doctor to check my blood sugar.
0: It's rather ironic, Neil, that somebody like yourself who's lived with diabetes for fifty years is probably leading a healthier lifestyle than most of us.
4: Yeah, I think so, and that's possibly one of the reasons why I've lasted so long. um you know your your lifestyle is very, very important, but you can live a normal lifestyle, everything in moderation, um and just make sure that you do check your 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 sugar levels on a regular basis and that you you know have the 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 insulin injection as required
0: so what have you done in the way of training for this climb
4: um i've always been a walker we've my wife and i have spent you know many many hours climbing around the the drakensberg and we lived in the for many years where we did a lot of walking up in the maluti mountains so um i haven't yet at this stage you know picked up my training routine but um, I've identified that the Cliff steps, of which there are 222 of them, mm-hmm. are going to be playing a big part, and I'm going to be walking up and down those steps quite a few times between now and February.
0: Sure. So I was about to ask, when are you off? We leave, we, it's, it's during the last week of February.
4: We actually start the climb on the 22nd of February, and we come down the mountain on the 28th of February.
0: Okay, and that, I was going to ask how, many, how long was it going to take you to get up and down, and are you adjusting that at all for the fact that you are climbing with diabetes?
4: Not, not really. We, we, we're part of a, a, a tour that is organized by Wild Frontiers, and we're going to be spending four nights going up and then two nights coming down.
0: So it's not too, you haven't really adjusted at all, you're going up with the rest of the people.
4: We are going up on a normal routine, um, you know, trip up the mountain and back, yes.
0: Well, I mean, after this, Neil, I have to ask you what's next, because, you know, when people start doing things like this, it's always the first in a long line of adventures. So do you have anything else in mind for next year?
4: Well, (laughs) whether (laughs) it'll be next year or in another five years, but I'd like to walk along the top of the the Dachensberg Mountains you know, from, from the, the northern side near um, Putadi Chaba and then work my way down towards um, the coxsted area of the Drakensberg. But that's that's something that I think will be more of a challenge than, than climbing Kilimanjaro.
0: Gosh. Now, you mentioned that you were being sponsored by Nova Nordisk and their Changing Diabetes campaign. Are you one of the Changing Diabetes ambassadors for them?
4: I think I'm, I'm part of that plan. Yes, I haven't yet been officially announced as being one of the ambassadors, but uh, that is in the process of happening, I'm sure.
0: And one of the things, just I always like to talk to people like yourself who've been living with a condition like diabetes for so long, and they're possibly newly diagnosed people out there and people who've been diagnosed a few years ago, It's very important for them to, as you keep saying, you've mentioned it a few times now, they have to keep, it's it's a case of taking responsibility. They have to keep checking their blood sugar. They need to be eating everything in moderation. They need to be avoiding certain things. And it's really that that whole responsibility thing. And that's kept you as healthy as you are. Yeah,
4: you're 100% correct. That's what, you know, I've always been a a disciplined person. And um, it becomes a routine. And you just got to stick to that routine. And my, I've got I've got two daughters who were quite happy to grow up in a, a family with a diabetic because they also lived a healthy lifestyle, and uh, you know so everybody has benefited you know in, around me in in the household.
0: And they they're okay. They didn't get. They haven't had diabetes.
4: No, um, you know they say that it normally skips a generation, so I've got four grandchildren and. Uh, you know, they are completely aware of, of, of my disease and they, are, they give me my injection whenever they're staying with oh. us and they, they sit with me when I check my blood sugar. So they are totally aware of what a diabetic can do and how he's got to look after himself and what I can do and what I can't do. And if, as, we a, if we at if we're at a party and somebody offers me a piece of cake, my 3 or granddaughters will say to me, "Grimps, you can't eat that." <laughs> so, so they are very very aware of of what what's going on.
0: As I said, it's it's very ironic because now because of that, they will hopefully grow up with the whole idea of what is good and what is bad and what is healthy and not. And <laughs> you know, it's it's teaching them a lot having you there almost as a guide as to the ways to health, healthy eating and a healthy lifestyle.
4: Yeah, very true
0: gosh we we need actually we don't need everybody to be sick to be able to get the point you know we we need people just to understand this and especially when it comes to type two diabetes, um which is life mostly lifestyle um it's caused mostly by lifestyle problems and you know if we had more people thinking and acting the way you do, um we wouldn't possibly have as many type two diabetes sufferers as we do
4: yes um i, I at one stage in my working career, I was a teacher, and um thinking about it nowadays, if they had to teach more about diabetes at school at at the at the younger um, ages you know as to what to look out for and you know you can you can identify um you know the the the, the, the problems that one would um start suffering from if you had to if you had to become a diabetic and uh, so the more educa- people are educated the better and then the less problems people will have if they do pick it up later on in their lives.
0: This is probably an extremely stupid question, Neil, because I mean, from everything you've said so far, you're living a very healthy, active, amazing life. Has it stopped you from doing anything? Has the, I mean, it's really a stupid question, but has it actually stopped you from anything, or have you just got on with everything?
4: No, I've basically got on with everything. Anything that I've set my mind on doing, I've done. You know, one has to modify one's lifestyle a little bit, um, but uh, yeah, no. I think uh, there's nothing that I haven't done that I wanted to do.
0: So it hasn't really had too much of an impact on your life, other than making sure that you followed a healthy lifestyle.
4: Exactly, exactly, and that's that's good for me. You know, whether I'm a diabetic or not, you know, a healthy lifestyle is so important to everybody nowadays.
0: Well, and your family—you seem to have rubbed off on them. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Which is a good thing. <laughs> so it's nearly t- So you're leaving in February. well, you said the last week in February?
4: That's correct.
0: Yes, and you off and six days or something you said in total, up and down. Um,
4: yeah, yeah, four nights up and
0: two nights down. Yes, so it's quite quite a short trip over there. And um, we'll look forward to your next adventure. You said walking along the mountains. We'll keep an eye on you. Because I always say when people like you start doing things like this, it's this, the start of a never-ending cycle of fun and adventure. So I'm sure we'll hear lots more about you. And once you do start walking Neil, where can we follow you? We'll be able to watch what you're doing.
4: Um, I'm unfortunately, you know, as you mentioned earlier and I'm sixty three so I don't know what Twitter is, I don't no, know what Facebook is. Come on now.
0: Um
4: but I know that Nova Nordisk are going to be, you know, doing all of those modern um communication methods and, and covering the 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 whole, you know, climb up the mountain. So if people want to follow it they should get onto the Nova Nordisk website. And I'm sure they'll be able to have a, you know, get a, a complete update as to how well we're doing. You
0: now, the Changing Diabetes has a Facebook page, so I'm sure that there'll be something on there with you as no, well. There definitely will be. So we'll be able to follow you. But, Neil, it's been wonderful chatting with you, and good luck for the climb, and we'll certainly keep an eye and see how you do. Probably put the rest of us all to shame, but uh, <laughs> enjoy it. It sounds like an amazing adventure, and we look forward to the next one. I'm sure there's going to be one. But thank you so much for your time this evening. It's a pleasure. Nice
4: talking to you. Thanks,
0: Neil. Good night to you. you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Neil Ray has been living with diabetes for 50 years, and he's now planning to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. And once Neil starts climbing at the end of February, you can follow his progress on the Nova Nordisk Changing Diabetes Facebook page.
1: At Adcock Ingram, we're inspired to create quality medicines at affordable prices. The passion and care that goes into our trusted brands like Panado, BioPlus, Compral, and Citrus Soda can also be found in our range of generic medicines. So whether you're a boiki with a bellyache or a gogo with a cold, trust us to take care of you and your family's health. Adcock Ingram, adding value to life. Ask for Adcock Ingram medicines the next time you visit your pharmacy. Health Matters
3: with Karan Key.
0: Well, after being pushed in a wheelchair from Cape Town to Bite Bridge, which is about 1,725 kilometers, to create awareness for animals in need, Tripod, a three-legged dog that was rescued from a township, has decided to celebrate his achievement. He's been on trains, on planes, on boats, and what better way to do it than by paragliding, now that he has returned to Cape Town. It's not bad for a dog that was tied to the back of a shack with a rope. He chewed through the rope and was hit by a taxi and left to die. He was rescued by Monet van den Hiefer, and next year he's going to be involved in a project that will benefit stray and abused dogs and physically challenged children. Monet, good evening. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank so, you. Now, Monty, you have to tell me about Tripod. Tell me the story of Tripod. What, where did you get hold of him? Where did you find him?
5: Uh, about uh, a little bit longer than 10 years ago, I was involved in a serious motor car accident. And after the accident, I suffered from panic attacks and it uh, developed into severe depression. And nothing helped medication or psychiatry, nothing helped. And I adopted a small puck from the SPCA and I started walking on the beach with him. In running short distances and later on longer distances. And because he insisted on running with me and had short legs and breathing problems, I got a wheelchair. And when he was tired, I picked him up and I put him in a wheelchair. And we were running for about 10 years like that. And uh, he then very tragically died, and I found it very difficult to, to deal with his death. So I went to a place close to where we were staying in Prince Alfred Hamlet, outside Sears, uh, that looked after stray and abused dogs. And one morning when I got there, a tripod was there. He still had four legs, but the one leg in front was just all over the place. I asked him what happened, and they told me that the taxi broke his leg in three places. He was left there uh, to die. Uh, and when they found the owner, he said he doesn't want a crippled dog, and it's just killing And they were going to put him down on that particular day. Uh, whilst we were talking, one of the I walked. Uh, attacked him. And when they separated, then Klapper ran straight to me and came and sat next to me and looked up at me. <laughs> and when I looked down into his brown eyes, I decided I never wanted the dog again, and I said, so. There's no way that they're going to put this dog down. And I asked him if they amputate his leg, whether I could have him, and I said yes. And that is how I happened to Land up with that, but I mean, he chose me.
0: So it almost sounds, Monet, that he rescued you more than you rescued him. Yes, that's why
5: I say, you know, I thought I rescued him, but in the end, he rescued me. Uh, I mean, you know, during this whole time that we walked and stuff like that, a bond uh, sort of developed. uh, And he's a remarkable animal, He's, he's absolutely so remarkable. The way that he touches people, and, and, and he started touching me too. Uh, when I, well, I didn't like people that much. But during this trip, we met so many wonderful people, and all of them are animal lovers. And through Tripods, I started to see a, a different side of people. And that is what he not only did to me, but he does it to a lot of other people as well, especially children. And that is where uh, the physically challenged children come into the picture. Uh, I know what the therapeutic value is of a dog as opposed to, you know, humans that try and help children. Animals that have got an ability that, that no human being has. And what dogs have done for me, they can do for uh, children as well. I'm slightly physically disabled. I've got some back clear of their hands. So disabled people, and I find that they are often lonely and depressed, and there's no better way to help them by to give them a dog. And what we are going to do is to create an infrastructure so they'll be able to look after the dog and feed the dog, and we will visit them on a regular basis. So we're going to have a sanctuary on the one hand to rehabilitate the dog, and on the other hand to place them with specific physically disabled
0: children. And this is a project that you're starting next year?
5: Yes. Um, what we intend doing is, you know, to do something like that, you need money. So we are going to do um, a relay from Byte Bridge back to Cape Town where people are going to push tripod in these wheelchair and we are going to get sponsors to sponsor tripod at one rand a kilometre. And that way we will raise money to start an even bigger pro- uh, project, uh, which is called Pause Day, in Afrikaans Puertedag, which is based on similar lines as Casual Day. What we are going to do is to have a uh, paper dark collar that we will sell on that particular day. And people can either wear it themselves or put it on their head. And through that, we will generate enough money to do this project uh, properly.
0: It's quite an amazing little dog, by all accounts, not just for what he did for you, but uh, how he's touching the lives of so many other people.
5: Yes, I mean, I mean on the way, I can give you examples um, of how he did. In Port Elizabeth, there was a little girl that had an operation and uh, she was in a wheelchair and couldn't walk. But after the operation, if she could have calipers, she would be able to walk. But the operation was so expensive that her parents couldn't afford it. And by a strange way, uh, he met up with Tripod, and Tripod, within two weeks, on his Facebook, raised uh, the uh, 7,000 rand uh, that was needed for the calipers.
0: You have to tell us, what is Tripod's Facebook page name? How do we get hold of Tripod? It's
5: tripod fun den here for...
0: Tripod, tripod funding—it's your so it's got your surname. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So tripod funding here for and and you'll be able to see the adventures of tripod. Now I mentioned that tripod. There's
5: also uh, underneath that there's another one tripod trip for the push project.
0: Oh, tripod trip for
5: the project. That was the, the, the trip that we did and all the things that happened on the way.
0: Okay, and that was you, you was pushed in a wheelchair from Cape Town to Bight Bridge and where yeah. has he been on planes and boats and trains? Where did he go?
5: Well, he, he went from Victoria uh, to Port Elizabeth uh, on a plane and along the way he uh, was on a boat. I can't remember it was on the south coast on, on the sea and he was on a canoe and uh, you know, all over the place, uh, the tripod. <laughs> he's got a way to to make uh, connections with people. And uh, the strangest things happen.
0: I also think he's more well-traveled than me, this dog. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but now, M- Monet, he's going paragliding. I was a bit concerned when I read that, because I thought, how safe is that for Tripod, and how happy would he be in a, in a paraglider?
5: I mean, I, I can't speak for Tripod, but he's sleeping at the moment, so I, I'm not
2: to oh
0: okay.
5: I can just tell you that he's going to sit on my lap. He's going to have a harness Uh I'm the one that's terrified. The doesn't seem to be concerned about things like that. Mm. I, I suffer from a fear of heights.
0: Oh my! that's not exactly the smart thing to do, then, Monet. I mean, you know that the paraglides quite high. It's up in the sky. You know yeah, that. I, know
5: that I've seen. <laughs> <laughs> I, I went uh, on the trip. Uh, we did the, the bungee jumping at. Oh
4: no, I didn't take
5: Tripod with me. He waited for me. Um, and uh, I know what it is to, to fall through the air. But uh, paragliding is a totally different thing. It's not a sudden thing. It's gradual. And, and tripod has got a ability to adapt to anything. I see on my Facebook that there are two people that are concerned that it verges on animal cruelty. He is my son. I will not harm that dog in any way, in any way. And I won't let him do anything that I won't do myself. Uh, I have been assured that uh, paragliding is safer than uh, cycling in the streets or even driving a car or motorcycle, and uh, that is what we are going to do.
0: And that is happening on Thursday this week at 10 o'clock from Signal Hill to Seapoint. Yes, yes. Okay, so I, I'm going to have to come to work that day because, uh, yes, I, I'm in Seapoint and I see all the paragliders actually coming in to land on the grass uh, yeah, where the promenade it's,
5: is. It's in front of the SABC. Yeah, I'm going to have
0: to come to work on Thursday morning just to come and see you guys landing <laughs> there. <laughs>
5: it's going to be quite his something. Wheelchair, his wheelchair will be waiting for him when we get down there. And he will, uh, there's apparently going to be whole uh, crew from SABC's uh, Expresso.
0: Oh, yes, the morning TV show, yes.
5: Yeah, to film the whole thing and stuff like that.
0: Oh, my goodness. But, I mean, this dog is having a wonderful life. I mean, as you said, I was mean, obviously was meant to be, that you were there that day when, when, when you met Tripod. I mean, obviously you were meant to be together.
5: Yes, there's no in my mind, there's no doubt about it. I mean, I was devastated about the loss of the other dog. And I really didn't know what I was going to do with my life. My life... Uh, I have done a lot of things, but I've never really achieved what I wanted to. And suddenly, with Tripod everything started to fall in place. Uh, he's inspiring me. He's, uh, he's got a personality, and when you meet him, you'll see, uh, you know, what I'm talking about. It is just remarkable. I can just give you another short incident. Uh, on the south coast, we walked out of the town. We couldn't find a place to sleep. Uh, and a, a lady in a motor vehicle stopped next to me and she asked me what I was doing. And I told her and I could see that she was tremendously tense and she was not really interested in what I was saying. She just wanted to get to transport. So she started petting him and he did his singing he licks face and stuff like that. And then she asked, where are we sleeping tonight? And I said, I don't know yet. We're going to the next town, which is close by, and we must probably find a place there she's got a flat at the house and we're welcome to come and stay there so we went there and after she's made some tea and we chatted she said she must tell me something she was on her way to go and commit suicide and then she saw tripod and something something in in her just said i must i must go to that dog she worked with dogs in her life previously and uh, She has since uh, sent us SMSs, we have spoken on the phone, we started a journal, and our whole life from that day changed completely.
0: Monet, it's the most amazing story, and I wish I could chat to you for a whole lot longer, but we've run out of time. But thank you so much for chatting with me this evening, and good luck for Thursday.
5: Uh, Thank you very much, and I hope to see you there. (laughs) I'd love to, to meet you.
0: I'd love to meet Tripod too. Thank you very much for joining me. Monet, and here and Tripod will be paragliding on Thursday, the 27th of November at 10 o'clock from Signal Hill to Seapoint. And if you'd like to read more about Tripod, he has his own Facebook page, Tripod here for. So go and have a look at that. And that's it for Health Matters for this week. I'm Karen Key. Thanks for joining me. And I'll be back with you again tomorrow evening just after nine with time to travel. So join me then. Don't forget there's a list of available documents on Facebook, so it's uh, Health Matters on SAFM or email me, healthmatters at safm.co.za. This program was brought to you by Adcock Ingram. Adcock Ingram is passionate about the health of all South Africans across our rainbow nation. Trust Adcock Ingram Medicines to take care of you and your family's health. Adcock Ingram, adding value to life. And Stephen Kirk is up now with some nighttime music. Hello, Stephen.